0: Welcome to Todd's Time Travel podcast here. Nice little introduction for you. We're going to be joined by Nick, who's the treasurer of the Bath Postal Museum, where we discuss all things from Ralph Allen to Postman Pat, and along with other historical things about stamps that I never knew about. So yeah, enjoy the show, everyone. Good afternoon. Welcome to Todd's Time Travel here on Summer Valley FM. I'm with Nick at the Bath Postal Museum. Nick is the treasurer here at the museum itself. Nick, thank you very much for joining me today. Hello. <laughs> it's nice to be here. It's my first
1: time visiting the museum. So uh, it's very, very good to be joining you here today. Thank you for having me. Right, it's a pleasure. We welcome visit. We haven't seen many visitors for the last 18 months. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine why. (laughs) But they're they're beginning to reappear, the brave ones anyway. Yeah, I'm here. (laughs) So um, this
0: being my first time, tell me a little bit about the museum. Like how long it's been here, um, what is here and
1: what we're going to talk about today. So uh, the museum was created originally by Audrey Swindells and her husband Harold. Harold was a quite a well-known stamp dealer in Bath and uh, unfortunately started collecting other things to do with the postal service like post boxes <laughs> and uh, if you've got a small shop selling stamps that's perfectly adequate but there's no space for the odd few paste post boxes and uh, postman's uniforms. So they bought a house in Great Pulteney Street, number 51, opposite the doctor's surgery and they made the museum in the basement. And if you know that and you walk down Great Pulteney Street and you look down into the sub-basements, you will see a (coughs) post-wool box. For posting letters. Brilliant, wow. You can't get to it, but (laughs) they had it there uh, to to show that that was where the postal museum was Uh, after some time. So the museum uh, moved from Broad Street 15 years ago and uh, it moved into these uh, premises, which was a basement underneath the post office opposite uh, Waitrose. Mm and uh, it had to be transformed this dark old basement (laughs) into (laughs) a nice light and friendly place with all the treasures and uh, people were so impressed by it they came along and donated many more postal artifacts like postman's uniforms and, uh, and the tools they use and and these items that people gave us varied enormously for example someone gave us 70 little matchbox cars and trucks that were used they're the models of vehicles used by the post office um, from Ooh, the turn of the century uh, today <laughs> because remember that most mail was delivered by horse and cart until the end of the First World War only then did wheeled motorized vehicles become available uh, for the for the postman and uh, so we have an interesting map here which shows um, how many of the postal routes were covered by horse with a postman and a bag on its back and others by the postman on foot. What about um, postal bikes as well? Right, that? and bikes, yes, indeed, because of, of course most of the telegrams were delivered by boys on bikes.
0: Yes, <laughs> you would see it in the old classical film, people <laughs> in on bike Telegram! <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, anyway, we, we have here a collection of uh, interesting mail that, uh, when the ships were sunk, when they were raised, there were no passengers left, but the mail was left and uh, it was dried out and delivered. And this is the biggest collection in the world of uh, crashed mail. So some of it, of course, has singed edges because the plane crashed on the mountain in Peru. <laughs> there were no passengers left, but mail no was rescued and delivered. Very important. Uh, one lot of mail is mm. to do with the Tay Bridge disaster when the train ran off the bridge going across the river. Oh my goodness. And we got the, the mail got from that. Got the mail from that. <laughs> <laughs> Makes wow. an interesting reading. And, um, More recently, a man phoned up and said he had a a lot of mail, but it didn't all have stamps on. And we said, what a pity. But he gave it to us, and we had a quiet look and found the letters were posted in 1686. Uh, (laughs) Now, that um, is interesting, because stamps were only invented in 1840. That's near 200 years before (laughs) something (laughs) exists. So the letters, some of the letters are old, and you can read them and they've they've been uh, transcribed by Mr. Copestake, who gave us the collection. But in the museum, we we make great play of uh, three particular men. The first one was Ralph Allen. People who live in Bath all know Ralph Allen, because there's a road called Ralph Allen Drive, and a school at the end, Ralph Allen School, and there's a marvellous mansion uh, called Prior Park, which was his home. Now what happened to him was um, the the Royal Mail gave him the job of being postmaster in Bath and after 20 years he thought that he could deliver the mail more efficiently. Instead of it all going to London to be sorted he could take it directly say to Birmingham or even to Bristol and that was called cross post and he put a big cross on the letters to show they were going with his service. he made a lot of money.
0: Yes, uh, uh, quite
1: a large fortune (laughs) from what I read. So what would you do with a lot of money? How about a hole in the ground? So he went to the top of the hill at Coombe Down and he paid for deep mines to be dug and to dig out bath stone that was a hundred and sixty-eight million years old. Now, people in Bath had found some stone, but it was very soft. You could make a statue out of it, but you wouldn't leave it outside because it would fall apart in the winter. Mm. And therefore, you wouldn't make a building with it. But with his stone, it was nice and hard and strong. And so he made friends with the property developers like John Wood, who used it to build a square. Queen Square. Yes. And yeah. other buildings like the circus and the crescent. Well, twenty years later, he went up the road and he wanted to build the, the circus. So he made a roundabout. The diameter of that roundabout is precisely the same as Stonehenge. Yes, which I found quite intriguing because it's so scary. So, he couldn't afford to build all those wonderful buildings, Mm. so he sold building plots all the way around the circus and like a little wedge, like a piece of cake, that shape, Mm. and said you can have any house you like on your building plot as long as the front looked exactly like his picture. And you bought your stone from Ralph Allen. That's why it's all the same stone for the front of the buildings, but the backs of the buildings are completely different. (laughs) (laughs) But you could have any house you liked. And 20 years later, his son uh, said, uh, Dad, you made a fortune doing that. So he went outside Bath and bought a farmer's field and he designed half a circle and called it the Crescent and he also said you can have any house you like as long as the front looks like this and you buy your stone from Ralph Allen and when you go around the back look how different the houses are. So Ralph Allen um, managed to uh, get the license to do this private postal service from the Prime Minister. We had our very first Prime Minister called Sir Robert Walpole. and. Uh, he'd let his son become Postmaster General. Is that a new <laughs> title? <laughs> yeah, well, it was thought up by Henry VIII in 1516 when he created the Royal Mail. Okay. And uh, un- until then there was a mail service for the army and one for the church. But Henry, th- Henry VIII thought we should have one for us. And to make sure you could trust his postman he called it Royal Mail and it was royal mail that that had a postmaster general to control it. Oh wow. So Ralph Allen went to London and saw the Prime Minister's son and said if I give you six thousand a year, um, which is two million a year now, would you give me a license for seven years? Now we don't know where that license is but when it ended, he went and got a second license in 1720 for another seven years. And we've got the license right here on display. Oh, wow. Perfect. It, it's kept in the dark <laughs> uh, so that it, uh, it doesn't fade. Yeah, of But course. when you go into the room, the lights come on and you can see the license. And he got these licenses every seven years till the day he died. And
0: he... So... So going back to Ralph Allen, and then the, uh, the creator of the Bath Stone and the, the
1: Crescent and the Circus, you
0: were just talking about. You wanted to go a little bit more into detail about Ralph Allen.
1: Well, he had an interesting start in life uh, because um, he lived in a little village uh, down in Cornwall near Newquay, and his grandmother ran the Royal Mail post office. And as a teenager, she let him help her, and he was very proficient. And when she got sick, he carried on running the post office on his own. When the inspectors came, they were horrified, but they found that it was immaculate. He'd done a brilliant job. And they said, listen, when you leave school, come and work for us. And he did. So they employed him uh, in Cornwall, and then they sent him up to Bristol. And they sent him to Bath, when he was only 19 years old, to become the postmaster here. Was that young for the time to be a postman? Well, very. <laughs> I mean, you, know, you could go to university when you're 12 if you were very clever. Right. And they weren't age prejudiced. No. <laughs> and so, so he, he started here and he ran the, the, postal, the post office uh, for many years until he came up with this idea of taking the post direct and that's when he went off to, to London to promise his couple of million a year uh, for the license to run the service as a franchise really because he wanted his postman to have royal mail written on their jackets. Very yeah. important. All right. uh, the other person that uh, yeah. we um, give great respect to is John Palmer and uh, we have a model of one of his coaches here. And uh, he said to Ralph Allen, it's very inefficient, this idea of yours, of taking mail to London in a stagecoach, which goes five miles an hour, takes four or five days to get to London, and it can be robbed by the highwayman. And uh, I think that if we use my father's money because his father owned the brewery, <laughs> we, we could design a mail coach to be different to a stagecoach. So, its mission was to carry the mail and get four fast horses and gallop them for 10 miles and to arrange for the ostlers, which is the, the horseman behind the pub, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to have four new horses ready. And we'd then chase the horses right. and gallop on again. Now to make sure the horses were ready, the chap at the back of the coach would get out his post horn and go post horn is a funny word, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and go, I'm coming into town. And the kids would hear it first, of course, and say, Dad, Dad, the coach is coming in, get them horses ready. Put put the bridles on. Oh wow. And the coach would sweep in and change the horses and gallop off again. Now there were always fresh horses so that could go quickly. Whereas the highwaymen had been sitting on their big horses all day and they were exhausted and they couldn't catch the fast mail coach horses. What was interesting is they could get to London in one day. So the young ladies of Bath used to say to their father, I want to go to London, but please pay extra for me to go on the mail coach. Because if I go on a stagecoach, someone might pinch my pearls or pinch my bottom, (laughs) (laughs) but if I go on the mail coach I'll be there in a day. Mm -hmm. However, they changed the horses so quickly there was no time to go to the loo. So every time there's a problem, (laughs) someone thinks of a solution, so one of the seats in the mail coach could be lifted up and you could see the road going past. (laughs) <laughs> uh, this this idea, of course, was used by British Rail which used to have a little sign saying please do not use the loo when this train is at the station. So it goes all the way back to the 1720s. <laughs> okay. Just from a tiny equation, someone needing the toilet with <laughs> <laughs> uh, a was It was a solution to a problem. Well, yeah, of it, course. And I, I find that quite elegant. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just like the don't do it at the station, <laughs> like how that works. <laughs> and so he then uh, built up this business of running mail coaches right across the country, controlled from Bath. And, you know, there was a time when there were a thousand coaches a day leaving London, mail coaches. A thousand? And just think of them with 4,000 horses to pull them and 4,000 horses to be ready 10 miles down the road to be changed over. Think how many horses were involved and how many contracts had to be issued. And how much um, hay they needed. <laughs> and the, the, um, the mail timetables were published so you knew when to expect the coach coming in. With your letters, so there's a coach timetable. It was. Oh wow! Uh, we have one on in on display here. Uh, Ralph Allen uh, built a Prior Park, uh, showing off what you could do with his Bath stone. It's a vast place now, used by uh, as a Catholic boys' uh, school. Oh no, it's, it's, it's uh, boys and girls, and uh, it's got uh, a big park which is run by the National Trust. Yeah. But there's no parking, so it's a thing. But there's an elegant bridge across mm-hmm. the the lake at the bottom but you have to know that they built the bridge first when it was very convenient in the valley and when the bridge was finished they then built a dam wall to retain the water ah. and they built the dam wall just the right height so that the water came under the bridge but not too, didn't <laughs> make too, too high. <laughs> not too high <laughs> okay. So uh, he also uh, built a townhouse where he conducted all his business and he was friendly with the Prime Ministers, he was one of the richest guys in the country. Well, he would be, yeah. <laughs> But you need a very long neck to see his townhouse and it's uh, in the road uh, on the south side of the Roman Bath and you can peer through and, and uh, have a look to see what it looks like. Another uh, interesting display we have is of the Penny Black Stamp So stamps were invented in 1840 and sent to all the post offices um, and they were told not to show anybody these stamps until Wednesday the 6th of May 1840. And on that day there was going to be a big publicity drive, look you could buy stamps for a penny. But the postmaster in Bath called Thomas Moore Musgrave came to work on Saturday morning, that's the 2nd of May, with his wife and 10-year-old daughter. And he showed them, look what's going to happen on Wednesday. And you can imagine the 10-year-old daughter saying, Dad, I can't wait until Wednesday. Please, can I cut out one of them stamps, lick it, stick it, and post it? And she did. And it was franked by the Bath Post Office. Bath, 2nd of May, 1840. So it was the first stamped envelope in the world. That stamp is, the, is <laughs> worth a fortune. Yeah, now imagine. Now owned by an American. And so we managed to get photographs of it before it uh, left the country. And we have them on display. So the, uh, every now and again, we have visitors to the museum saying, oh, that's real interesting. Can I buy one of these penny blacks? And I explain they're not making them anymore, but um, they can be found. And we sell them for about £130 each, depending on how badly they've been cut out of this big sheet. Oh, of course. Well, <laughs> it's a big sheet yeah, of yeah. stamps. Yeah, yeah. Now how many penny stamps would you have on each row? How about 12? How many pennies in a shilling? And how many rows of stamps on this big sheet? How about 20? How many shillings in a pound? So each sheet of stamps was exactly one pound. And the little coordinates of each stamp were recorded so we could see which row it came from and which column. Quite interesting. And that was recorded on the stamp? Yes. Mm, right. okay. <laughs> you, need, you need good eyes. going <laughs> yeah, to I was say, like, you <laughs> <need> Good <laughs> eyes to look at the corners of the stamp. But if you ever see a picture of a penny black stamp, look in the bottom left-hand corner, It'll, it will show you which row it was on and the bottom right-hand corner shows you which column it was on. I imagine there was some sort of record book somewhere that has all these yeah. recorded. All you had to do was record the value of the last stamp on your sheet and you could calculate from yesterday's record how many stamps you'd sold.
0: Oh uh, wow, okay, all right. let's look <laughs> at how it
1: works. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, now these uh, stamps on the big sheet had to be cut out by the postmaster with a big pair of scissors and sometimes they weren't that careful and they cut through the Queen's face, which was rather unfortunate. So that's a problem. I want you to think of a solution. So a man invented a little machine where you put the sheet in, pressed the handle and it punched little holes all around each stamp. What are we going to call those little holes? Perforations. And we have that prototype machine here. You can come and put a little sheet of stamps in, press the handle, and it'll punch holes all around the stamps. So it was a prototype. Uh, The post office accepted it and asked the man to do a giant machine that made 240 stamps at a time, or made the perforations around 240 stamps. (laughs) <laughs>
0: no, just thinking about the process of that. So it, so it, it, it every machine would cut, more yeah. or less cut the stamp out for you. So it yeah. did have, so have to do it yeah. itself. And
1: that, another favourite thing we've got here is a little postman Pat. And if the children hold both his hands, he sings: Postman Pat, Postman Pat, and his black and white cat. But we have a stuffed black and white cat in the museum. Every post office in the country had to have a cat and had to take money out of the till to feed it. Why did the post offices need a cat? Because they were worried that mice would come and nibble through the mail bags and then nibble the mail to make a nest. How would you like your birthday card with nibbled edges? (laughs) And we then have a photograph of Bath's last cat. Now all the postmen had a badge with their number on it on their lapel. Yeah. Well this cat had its badge of the same quality on its collar around its neck.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so even a children's even a children's program has some historical it's accuracy this to it. Authenticity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well it works, I don't know. If you can keep it up there, well,
1: even I can remember twenty four years later. So. <laughs> The other thing we've got is a, is a photograph of the very first yeah. pillar box when you bought stamps from the post office you took them home, wrote the letter, St- lit, stick, but then you had to go back to the post office to post them by which time the post office was closed if you took too long to write the letter so they that's a problem. What's the solution? Well, a man called Anthony Trollope, much better known later for writing his Victorian novels and for his famous granddaughter, Joanna Trollope. But he was an inspector at the post office. And when he happened to be in Jersey, he had this wonderful idea. So he wrote to Roland Hill, the Postmaster General, and said, if I can build a box with a slot in the top, and people could just put their letters in there at any time of the day or night, would you approve it? And he said, yes, I would approve it, and if it works, I'll pay for it. So the first postbox in the world was invented in 1852. Victorian, okay. A lot of people said, oh, that's such a simple idea, I could have thought of it. And he said, well, you've had 12 years to think about <laughs> it. <laughs> so clearly it wasn't an idea. that was even, even obvious ideas can take quite a long time. <laughs> but it worked. Yeah. And it, I, I imagine that it, it set, it yeah. set off. But, well, obviously it did set off. But, um, but they were pillar boxes and they took up street space. So what if there was no street, street space? So they invented wall boxes. Here's a little post box set into the wall of a building. And the first one wasn't entirely successful because the rain went in, in the slot, and the mail got damp. That's a problem. Mm. Think of a solution. Put a little canopy, a little roof over the slot. Now, the museum has been closed for a long time with this pandemic, which is a bit traumatic. Um, However, our volunteers are now coming back to work, um, but not full time. So, on a Monday, it's open from 11 till half past four. Uh, but on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, it's only open from two till five. Then on a Thursday, 11 till 4.30. And on a Friday, I'm here, from half past 10 till about half past five. So, it's five pounds for adults and two pounds 50 for children. There is a family ticket for 10 pounds. But it is a little charity and uh, it relies greatly on donations from uh, people who are impressed with the museum, and uh, that makes all the difference. So we have survived the pandemic, but it's been very, very difficult. However, we are back in business. I'm glad and to hear that. <laughs> And welcoming the visitors. Certainly, there's a lot of interesting things here, besides all the postage stamps, about uh, the postman's uniforms, and uh, and the kids can get dressed up uh, as a postman and stand and look at themselves in front of the big mirror. It's, well, I, I, I mean, I've only seen bits of bobs so far, but I can see there's plenty
0: to see here as well, and uh, the history you've got behind it, and the way it all started as well, but uh, in a sense,
1: nice that it's here. Yes, although so it, well, it's a, a small local museum, I think it's very historic. The things that happened in, in this part of the world were quite surprising. They could have happened anywhere.
0: Well, as I was saying, even like the first, the first stamp you were talking about, as sort of said, it could have been anywhere because you said it hadn't <laughs> been released. Really, it was not long until it was going to be released. And if it hadn't been released that early, you wouldn't have that in a museum. So it's all these little decisions and i up making the biggest impacts. Like yeah. your stamp. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so... Uh, Nick, thank you very much for your time here. I've very much enjoyed this interview and all the stories you've told as well. I'm sure my listeners will be very happy.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure seeing you.